0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast by the HumanitarianAIMeetup.com groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Berlin, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore and Tokyo. My name is Faye, I'm a member of the Tech for Good live podcast crew and I'm also a social media strategist with the Digital Communications and Advocacy Agency, MNR. I'm here today as guest host again, interviewing three very special guests. I'm joined today by Sarah Philwock, Jin Ho Choi, and James Finch. Sarah Jinho and James' team are from Emory University, and they've actually just won Amazon Alexa's Social Bot Grand Challenge. So if you're like me and if you're a Brit listening in, this is basically like Wimbledon if you're a tennis player. And if you're tuning in from the Bay Area, this is basically like having the coolest camp at Burning Man. So I'm rocking with some rock stars today. Also listening in, we have Brent Phillips, who's the organizer of the Humanitarian AI Meetup Group. So, gang, let's dive right in. Do you want to give us a quick intro? Say where you are, where are you Zooming in from right now? And just, yeah, just, just a little bit about you before we dive into some questions.
1: So I'm Sarah Philwalk. I'm a third year PhD at Emory University. I'm currently calling in from Atlanta, Georgia, which is where Emory is located. Um, I work primarily in dialogue systems research during my time here at Emory.
2: I'm James Finch, also a third-year PhD student, advised by the wonderful Gino Choi, who we have with us, and Dialogue Systems Research has been my focus, even starting in undergrad. But yeah, when the Alexa Prize kicked off, Gino got really interested and invested in it as well, and so um, yeah, we, we kind of went all in on this Alexa Prize competition this year.
3: My name is Gino Choi. I'm a professor of computer science at Emory University. My research has been focused mainly on the natural language processing and especially using deep learning and all sorts of machine learning techniques. And actually, last year, July 2019, we started participating in two Alexa Prize. And fortunately, we have won (laughs) this competition. And it's been very intense and happy one week for us.
0: Yeah, I bet. So... Obviously, we've mentioned the Social Bot Grand Challenge. For those that don't know what that is, what is the challenge? What do you have to do in order to participate? So take us right back to the beginning. Like, where did this all start off?
1: So I think it was last May, actually. Amazon, which is the sponsor of the Alexa Prize, basically put out a call for proposals for any university team to write this proposal in terms of what they wanted to do for a social bot. And Amazon essentially took all of the applications from these university teams and selected only 10 teams out of, I think they got around 400 applications this year. Wow. Took 10 teams out to actually be the participants for this third round of the Alexa prize.
2: The goal very broadly is just to create a social chatbot that can converse with Alexa device users and engage them in as sort of realistic and human-like a conversation as possible. Generally, teams target a variety of popular topics like talking about movies or sports, this kind of thing. And so, yeah, the challenge is how can you create a chatbot that does this in the most human-like way possible?
3: So just to add on to that, I think what's really making this uh, competition special uh, is a very student-oriented competition too. It's a Mm university-based and also they have what they call grand challenge is for the final round. They need to have all the judges on average have 4.0 out of 5 on average, which is a very difficult thing to do. And also two-thirds of the interactors need to be able to talk with the boss for 20 minutes or over And if you think about it, do you think you can actually talk to a random person for 20 minutes? If you just go to the street and pick up somebody and start talking to them, do you think the humans will be able to talk for 20 minutes? That's unlikely, right? But that's why this is called Grand Challenge. This is the third year we did And I think our score actually this year was kind of groundbreaking. So we were very happy about this. But um, yeah, they're going to continuously do this. And we hope to actually participate again to this competition.
0: Wow. Cool. That's an interesting notion. Would we be able to go and chat to somebody just for 20 minutes straight without, I don't know, without doing the whole, oh, how's the weather or anything else? I'd be willing to give it a go, to be completely honest. But Anyway, um, so your project was called Imora. Is that right, the name Imora? So yeah, tell us about Imora. Like, where did you get that name from? How did it evolve? You know, when we think about kind of AI chatbots that have names, it's, you know, we start getting into the world of sci-fi and all this kind of stuff. So for those that like, including me, that don't know much about kind of the ins and outs of chatbots, how do you even start start on a project like Amora.
3: So I guess I came up with the name, so I should answer this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so just like many of our projects, I usually am responsible for coming up with a name and the logo. So <laughs> um, yeah, so the initial motivation was trying to find a female name of Emory. Wow. And Amora, which is a pretty name, it came out. And later on, I was trying to find some search. And it actually says it means a sage skilled in eloquence and uh, persuasion in Hebrew. And so I actually found that. And that actually sounds perfect for what we are trying to accomplish, right? Also, another really good thing is the reverse. Aromé means actually fragrance in French. Uh, and its acronym, Amore, means also love in Italian. So that actually comes really well with the overall motivation of this project because we didn't try to develop a chatbot that tried to give you lots of information. The theme of the chatbot is all about the love and all these kind of parts, caring. So we tried to develop a bot that actually tried to make you feel warm and make you more comfort. So that's why I think I we picked up this name and I think it worked out really well. Sarah James, did you like the name? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the name was
1: good.
2: Yeah, it's a good reflection of our core philosophy with building this bot. In some ways, it stands in contrast to people's approaches historically, even over the course of the competition. I think the, the sort of typical format that dialogue system developers sort of just naturally lean to is to create a sort of like information assistant where you can ask it questions about the world or you know, almost in like a Siri-like format and sort of like you're wondering something and it gives you these interesting tidbits of information and you try to engage people that way. But for this year, we tried to take a step back and really think about why, you know, people talk all the time. Why is that dialogue between humans so compelling in the first place? And that's where we got onto this direction more about, sharing experiences and sort of personal stories and making the conversation more socially oriented. So that's less about like, oh, this interesting fact, you know, here here's an interesting fact to entertain you. And it's more about actually engaging the person so that every conversation is more unique and personalized.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I guess the model that we kind of came up with during the course of this competition was that Emma. Emer- cares for you. And like, we kept repeating that over and over as kind of like our selling point. And so the idea is that not only do we want people to be able to share their personal experiences and kind of their life stories with our bot, we want them to do it in a way in which at the end of the conversation, they really feel like we understood them and that we were like providing this supportive and encouraging environment for them to interact with our bot. And so we really focused on that. Point in all of the aspects of the project as we worked on it over this year to really at the end of the day make sure that our users really felt cared for
0: amazing was there anything you know obviously when you're kind of doing testing and you know when you're having conversations yourself with Amara, was there anything that the chatbot ever said back to you that kind of took you guys by surprise and was kind of you're like, oh, wow, she really does care. Was there any, you know, when you were kind of going through the iteration process, was there anything that kind of struck you in that emotional kind of way? So obviously, you know, obviously we all have like Siri or like Google Voice or we've used Alexa and it is incredibly robotic. You know, people are always trying to find like the Easter eggs in chatbots, you know, when you make Alexa like woof back at you or she'll start meowing or whatever else. But obviously this is kind of, next level. So was there anything as part of the testing process that you discovered that you weren't that you weren't aware of that you would kind of land in as part of this process if that makes sense? Was there any yeah any kind of surprising tidbits along the journey that you just weren't expecting to kind of experience yourselves?
2: I think Sarah and I might have been a little too deep in the actual implementation uh, to be <laughs> surprised. I would say that a lot of times when you work on individual component interactions, right? So you're just focusing on like on a certain interaction with the chatbot you want to work, you sort of have tunnel vision on that for like a couple of days or whatever. And then afterward, when you go to test the the whole thing end to end, you see the whole picture. And I think that was genuinely surprising to me how it all fit together, particularly when we started adding more personalization aspects in. So we tried to make an effort that when the person said something, we would actually save that information and hold on to it and bring it back up later in the conversation. And I think that went a long way towards having people feel like they were actually being listened to.
3: So I guess it was not necessarily about Amora's response that surprises us, because as James just said, we have Uh, we know almost exactly what emra is gonna say we have programmed
0: it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, she's not i'm I'm just imagining her as like the sentient kind of being on obvious but of course you know what (laughs) the user
3: a reaction from the user is what Mm -hmm. surprised us the most so surprisingly what people want is really somebody to talk to so they um, like to have a bot. It doesn't have to be a bot. Um, but it's, uh, Bots are m- much more patient usually than humans. So they need somebody to listen to them and just be able to react to them. So it's not about, I mean, you see probably a lot of social bots out there. They just say nice things to you. So you say, oh, thank you, and even show some appreciations. But without really understanding them, they don't really feel like they're appreciated. Or mm-hmm. the person actually cares for you. You can actually just make just re- random nice gestures or reactions to other person, and for all, for maybe the first five to ten minutes, they may uh, you may be able to fool them to say like to make them think that you actually are listening carefully. (laughs) But (laughs) later on, they realize, okay, this person is not really listening. They are just making reaction, right? We don't want our bot to be like that. We want to have it actually understand what the user says and be able to react properly. And in a way that the user actually feel like they've been cared. Mm -hmm. So as Sarah just said, our slogan has been, MRA cares for you. And we Mm -hmm. have our YouTube channel, so if you go to YouTube and type Emory NLP or Emora chat, you actually can find our videos. <laughs> there are not that many videos. We were making one every week, but after COVID, we kind of stopped making mm-hmm. one. So we um, it doesn't have the earlier, it has only the earlier versions of Emora, which were very bad. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually intentionally made those videos because we wanted to see the progressive improvement of EMRA. And it initially it was like this bad, but later on it became really good. But all the good improvement came out after the COVID. And <laughs> the videos have only the bad version of EMRA. So uh, <laughs> we probably should make another one after this. But At the end of every video, basically, we try to say Amora cares for you because there's just so many people, especially during this pandemic period, so they just need to know and they just need to know somebody actually cares for them. So,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, that's amazing that obviously you're working, you know, that Amora is so founded in, in this hope of giving care and people being understanding and obviously this kind of strategy was created even before we really knew the extent of the global pandemic that we're in so kind of with that in mind like how did you choose how did you land on this strategy you know how did you kind of as a team how did you come together to be like okay we want to create social chat bot that is all about kind of listening and caring like as a team can you talk us through how you yeah landed on that strategic decision
1: I mean, I think the idea to make our social bot more socially oriented and more caring as an agent was like a, almost a foundational point that we imbued in our actual proposal, like at the very beginning of the competition. It was just kind of this novel idea that we didn't really see in any of the interactions or conversations that we had with previous years iterations of the competition. And so obviously, it felt kind of like, it was almost like a risky decision to divert from what people had relied on in the past. And so we always made sure during the course of the competition that we almost like, especially for the COVID case, when we decided to have our bot talk about COVID with the users, we actually had two different strategies of our bots conversation on that topic. We had one that was more kind of supportive and encouraging and more experience oriented. And then we had one that provided more objective facts to the users on kind of the status of COVID in society. And so kind of the idea behind that was that we just wanted to be able to to basically verify that this new idea of what we wanted our social bot to do with the users was actually being received well and received better than the more fact-oriented kind of strategies that other people had done in the past. And so we just made sure to kind of always have like these almost like these little checks in place that we were constantly moving in the right direction
2: right we were suspicious from the beginning that we suspected that having the more socially oriented conversation would work better and the simple rationale here was we looked at conversations between people in everyday life right and then how those just function so much differently from conversations you have with most contemporary chatbots and to us, the outstanding discrepancies, well, um, among the outstanding discrepancies was this shift in focus towards the more information-oriented talk. And so naturally, our reaction was just like, how can we close that gap? And to what extent is it a good, I mean, in the context of the competition, you're sort of worried about how much you're gaining from the effort you put in. So that's where, as Sarah just described, we sort of try to do these scientific tests along the way of like, you know, Are we actually gaining ground with people and satisfying them better as a user of our chatbot to actually make the conversation more socially oriented? And it turned out that our initial guess was correct. And it was a little surprising just how well it was received, like the magnitude of impact of that socially oriented direction was really good.
3: So um, just to add on to that. So this was actually our first year. So Emory as a group has participated in this competition three times. So this was the third year. But um, this was my first year to be a faculty advisor. And this is Sarah and James' first year to do this, who have been central components <laughs> of this team, obviously. So th- the grand challenge requires you to do 20 minutes, right? And there are two ways of making the conversation for 20 minutes. Uh, one... You talk for like 15 minutes and the other person talks less than five minutes. Or two, you talk evenly with the other person 10 minutes to 10 minutes. That's what the ideal conversation should be. In the past, most of the teams, even this year, I think what people have tried to do the most was to talk as much as possible in your turn. So you can actually prolong that (laughs) to the 20 minutes. And because of that, uh, it becomes a lot of what we call information-based talks. So you start, so if you say like, what do you think about say the US president? Then um, he knows US president is Donald Trump. So you can actually uh, read the entire paragraph of the first paragraph of Wikipedia and that gives you good two to three minutes, right? And if you do that like 10 times, you may make a 20 minutes. It's just the problem with this approach, obviously, is no human beings talk that way. You don't ever talk like a Wikipedia. So this is a strategy we try to strictly avoid. And another part is engagement. You need to have the user get engaged to you. So it doesn't matter how well you talk. If the user doesn't get engaged, they will just uh, log off, right? so there are many different ways of having the user engaged obviously you need to find their common interest and be able to talk about it and all those but i think a lot of also approaches have tried to be entertaining you try to give a lot of humors, or um, you try to sound funny sometimes, or all of these kind of tricks that you can use, which is very important skills in communication. And I think people actually try to even learn those kind of things. But one thing is that we actually did not uh, do any of these approaches this year. I think in the past, we have done it. One thing that we just focus is, what does this user want out of this conversation? So, that's the part that we focus the most. This is why I think that one of the biggest strategies that we had is the profiling. And this profiling is actually tricky because you don't want to explicitly ask about user's information. Especially it is coming out of Echo device and the user can well think that Amazon is trying to collect their information, right? So that's something that we did not want to do. So we have to actually try to infer users' information, profiling information from the conversation. So there are many places in our conversation that we actually ask certain questions, not directly, but indirectly to get what the users do. And obviously you need to understand what the user does. So this is a natural thing when you, if you are, it's the first time that you meet this person, you actually ask what they do, right? Not right away maybe, but after five to 10 minutes of talk. So what do you actually do for living? And that's like very casual thing to ask, but this kind of thing is difficult to ask in this setting. So we need to find a way to make an infer and that actually uh, worked out pretty well. And you'll be very surprised how engaged the user can be. So uh, one of the good examples that I can give you is the user had a son and had a a pet. So I think it was actually during our final round, the bot actually talked for 10 minutes just talking about pet and son. Because I I think he could have gone even more. Uh, um, So this is obviously something that the user really enjoyed. And it's not just about enjoying. You can enjoy to do something without caring about that, right? But obviously, this pet and the son, obviously, is something that he really cared about. So he was very engaged uh, to talk about this. And he was, I think, pleasantly surprised that Emra was able to give that kind of chat with him. So this actually made us really happy because that was the exact purpose from the beginning. We wanted to see if the human beings can actually be getting comfort uh, out of talking to Emra, And I think that actually worked out really well this year.
0: Amazing. That's a great example. And it's just to kind of track back a little bit. That's super interesting what you said about like profiling and obviously not wanting to ask super direct questions, but using Amora to sort of ask indirect questions to land on the answer that you're looking for. In terms of other kind of challenges that you faced as part of this process, like what other kind of challenges did you face as you were kind of building Amora and you were taking part in this challenge that somebody from the outside looking in might not, you know, might not expect you to face as part of a competition? I, think Sarah I have
3: lots to talk about it. But <laughs> if you have five hours, <laughs> you probably could. So... <laughs>
2: I think probably the biggest thing that sort of like road bump, if you want to call it that, it's almost too small of a metaphor um, (laughs) that we faced was, I mean, this competition was, we were participating during development for about what, like 10 months or something. It was a long time. And the first half of that, Sarah and I actually ended up sinking a lot of time into a approach that was Theoretically superior to what is actually implemented in our bot right now, but we essentially ended up running out of time to actually complete it. <laughs> so that kind of went into the uh, into the future research bucket for a while, um, and we're going to resume that approach, I-, I think, starting pretty soon
4: here. here. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, anyways, that was definitely something that we didn't anticipate at the beginning. Having to do it, you know, basically halfway through, we had to completely, essentially reinvent our implementation of the entire bot. And so that was something that was pretty tough. But, you know, that's sort of just something that was due, I think, to our, maybe our ambition and lack of experience. And once we sort of realized it was an unattainable goal, we just took a step back scoped down what we were trying to go for and just put all of our effort into making something work that was actually going to be successful and finished in time. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, with a project of this magnitude, essentially, obviously, when we started it, we had some pretty lofty goals. And I mean, it was obvious, it was very good that we were able to accomplish a lot of them. Maybe not, like James said, in the way that we initially thought we would accomplish Mm -hmm. them but kind of similar to that we had a pretty large team for this year's competition and one thing that was pretty challenging during the course of this whole year was trying to not only incorporate everybody's different like topics that they were all working on topics of conversation into like one cohesive bot that sounded the same even you know if we went from talking about music and movies to talking about somebody's family we didn't want there to be a really obvious kind of almost what would feel like almost like a personality shift or something in the bot that the users were talking to. And so making everything cohesive like that was pretty challenging. Not to mention that as we had all these people kind of working on almost like isolated components like this, we had changes happening all the time. So like if we made a new deployment of our bot that users would talk to, we might have like five different parts of our bot change in this new version. And so trying to identify what specific changes that we put in actually were having a positive reaction from our users versus a negative reaction. And then adjusting our bot in future deployments was also something that was something that we spent a lot of time trying to like dissect like that.
2: Yeah, we actually, I think the main way we actually, I think, overcame this challenge was we ended up creating a uh, dialogue development platform, uh, which is sort of like, you can think about developing the tool that you use to actually develop the chatbot. So we ended up sort of pivoting our efforts halfway through the competition and creating this dialogue development platform that would essentially unify 12 different team members, however many we had, you know, many different team members, individual efforts and code under a cohesive framework. And that sort of like I mean, that really sped up our development process and just let us really focus on what mattered to us, which was tackling these more interesting questions about what sort of interactions actually engage people and how can we make the best, most human-like conversation possible.
4: James, it's Brent here with the Humanitarian Meetup Groups. I was just going to ask you guys more about the platform and how you collaborated in such a large team, and I'd love to hear more about how you actually, everybody work together and this framework did you give it a name and uh, i think slack got started this way it was sort of a, a side project that they developed for their own workflow right and um, and can you give a shout out to some of your team members and then just describe
2: the like a day to day how you work together and as a team right yeah so i guess starting with the first thing there actually unfortunately i think i named the development platform, Emrah State Transition Dialogue Manager, which is a terrible name that I sort actually. of called, it, I, <laughs> I called it, it once, and then it just like sort of stuck, uh, which is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, we just abbreviate that to Emra STDM, and that's Open Source Project on GitHub.
3: And it's been actually also published to SIGDial this year too. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: So the goal of that is basically it's, it's a Python library that just really speeds up development by sort of removing the boilerplate of creating a lot of chatbot components. Um, And it also has a feature in there for people sort of independently working on different chatbots, and then you can combine them in a sort of easier way that helps you preserve your sanity. So that definitely helped. And then really, like, the, the great thing about having that in place is that, uh, to some extent, we could divide work very efficiently. Because, um, of course, when you're in such a large team, like just dividing labor is a problem in itself, right, when you're working on a project this large. But the sort of natural way to do it is to have different people work on different topics of conversation, and they sort of have their creative license to, you know, explore that topic and create interactions to do whatever that they think is the most compelling for that conversation domain. So, yeah, I mean, we, we basically had three meetings a week where we would compare notes. And, you know, if Gino wants to talk a little bit more about that, he can. But yeah, and we would just sort of collaborate to help each other, you know, comparing what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and then we just sort of fit the pieces together, and, and that, that was our chatbot. So the
3: greatest thing about this platform, so we, as I said, this work was published to SeekDial Demo, and it was well-received uh, this year. Before this, we divided our work jobs by different topics. So we had a total of 14 members, where about nine of them are working on actively working on topics. So a topic can be something popular like a movie, books, and like music, this kind of popular domains. Or it can be very um, small domains, like a teleportation that we had, virtual reality, uh, some games maybe. So anything that you want to talk about. So the team members actually are divided into topics. But when they actually develop their own dialogue manager, what happens is, as exactly Sarah said, they all sound possibly different. And the biggest thing is, everybody is reinventing their own wheel. So when they actually do a certain thing and they actually learn some tricks, right? And they usually keep them themselves. So next time when they develop a different topic, they can probably use that trick they learned. But the rest of the team couldn't share. So everybody was just trying to figure out their own thing, which a lot of time happened to be the same thing. So by developing this platform that this effort can actually um, take advantage. Once you actually improve the platform, then everyone gets just benefit out of that. So that was the, like Sarah and James did a tremendous amount of work to actually create this platform. And so this platform was actually created sometime in January, I think this year. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we basically tripled the productivity of our bot actually. Another really good thing about having a centralized platform like this is I think this is true for most bots out there. They actually jump topic to another topic. So it looks almost like a sequence flow of you start talking about movie. Now, okay, we've talked uh, about movie for a while. Now let's move on to music. Then you talk about music, then move on. to So it's topic by topic. Just you keep moving on to the other topic. But when we actually talk, we don't talk that way. We don't make a transition. We mostly do in the big picture. But we sometimes can go back, so I can start, all of a sudden I just remember, okay, there is another meaning about MRI, and I start explaining to you and come back to the topic, right? This kind of like reading topic transitions happen all the time in human conversations. But if everyone is developing their own component, it's very difficult to have the topic exchanges, the um, information between the topics, or even the opinions. If I actually gave an opinion about a certain movie, That may actually well apply to opinion about my maybe some like a book review or some other kind of of views. So this kind of information exchange and also opinion exchange, topics, transitions is what we really wanted to have for having a natural, fluent conversation. And this platform that Sarah and James developed tremendously helped us to do this.
4: This is really cool. And one reason we're doing this podcast is really just to give people ideas and get people thinking about applications. And, you know, the humanitarian community is really interested in the sustainable development goals, for example. So you could easily have, you know, humanitarian actors developing conversations around different topics and, you know, ways humanitarian organizations discuss operations and things like that. So this is really cool what you're you're sharing. I love that.
3: Yeah, one thing that we actually want to also share on that line, actually. So I actually taught computational linguistics course last semester in the spring, and I actually used this platform MRSDDM as one of the API to develop a chatbot kind of small dialogue management. And uh, I had about fifty students in the class, and they were grouped into like fifteen teams, and they each team was developing their own chatbot. And the STDM actually provides a lot of useful API already. So, these undergraduate students were able to actually create chatbot in a very short period of time. So, they had only like two to three weeks to develop their final project. And there were, uh, some of them were actually very impressive that they actually created. And uh, our team, Sarah James and I actually have been talking about it. And uh, we don't know when we are gonna do, but it will be very nice to the community that if we actually run some kind of like hackathon providing this kind of API and um, having them to develop a chatbot and try to be able to combine them together to create like a super bot, right? So (laughs) then that will be a really nice thing to do. And I'm sure it will actually be very beneficial to advance this technology for conversational AI.
4: Did you have an empathetic, like a template, you have all these different teams working on different kind of conversations, but everybody thinks differently. And did you bring everybody back together with a like a checklist on how to actually be empathetic?
3: It is a very difficult thing to do. We ended up, for Alexa prize competition, we ended up doing more or less manually of this. And Sarah, do you, I think it took about 10 days. Sarah, can you talk about this? I
1: mean, so so specifically for the Alexa Prize, when we were trying to combine all of our different members, like individual components, we've been saying it's been difficult to have them sound the same and follow the same like underlying core principles. And so the way that we structured this combination process was that essentially everybody made their own independent thing. And then when we combined them, we had a, a smaller set of people looking at the entire conversation and all of the components together like as a whole and going in where deemed necessary and individually merging and adjusting what the different language sounded like and what the different reactions from the bot were given certain responses from the user. And so we really had to kind of centralize these final like, touch-ups to kind of make this cohesion and this empathetic pinnacle of our bot really shine to the front of the conversations we were having. And I was the one that pretty much the last 10 days of the competition before like finals were over was responsible for going in and making everything as optimal as it could be across the entire bot.
2: Yeah, Sarah did a great job making it all actually sound like one cohesive system and getting the transitions between topics working really smoothly and that kind of thing. We did, as we went through the competition, have a sort of like I said, during meetings, we would compare notes about mm. what did and didn't work. So we did end up sort of having a, a de facto short list of kind of do's and don'ts for, um, you know, for how people should be making interactions. But for sure, I mean, especially in an academic s- setting, you don't want to stifle people's individual creativity to make whatever interaction they think is most appropriate for their topic. So it was the short, short list. But yeah, uh, uh, kind of like,
3: I, I think maybe- we have only one list, we wanted to develop opinion-based chatbot instead of information-based chatbot. I think that was the only thing <laughs> yeah. that actually. Well, mean,
2: for, for example, when people develop chatbots, they really like to ask, do you want to continue talking about X, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like a sort of funny, awkward interaction when you think about two humans doing it. So we had certain things like that, that we try to sort of correct for globally, but mm-hmm. yeah. In general, yeah, I don't think we needed too many of those.
1: No, but this list was definitely something that we could not come up with, like, at the inception of the project. No. <laughs> it was kind of like through trial and error and yeah. seeing what all of the different members of our team and even what the different groups in Genehos course were creating when they were creating these conversations. We were kind of, you know, identifying, okay, th- this seems to be in the right direction. This seems to be something to stray away from and, like, compiling it kind of on the go like that.
3: So, I mean, it is a very difficult thing to do. As James said, we don't want to avoid like people's creativity, right? And everyone talks their own way and every way is wonderfully its own thing, right? So, but at the same time, we don't want Emra to sound like a multi-personal <laughs> kind of boss. Right? So um, that was a conflicting idea between these two. But I think um this is the team members I haven't mentioned, enough, but I cannot list all the names, but they have done incredible work. We have a team of PhD students uh, master's students and also undergraduate students. And all of them, is, it's not like one student is working harder than the others. One student end up doing more things than the others possibly, especially Sarah and James, but everyone's contribution really counts and their uh, perspective really counts too. So that all got together into this one bot and that actually gave us this edge to this competition. So it's not about I don't think our bot is technologically more uh, advanced than any other bots, actually. Compared to the other four finalists, I don't think we are using any more advanced technology as they do. So some of them probably even have more um, advanced technology used. So, but I, I think the reason why we won this competition is our focus shifted. So instead of trying to develop a bot that actually try to give you lots of information, we try to actually have a conversation. And this is the I think people were genuinely surprised. So one interesting thing is at the beginning of this competition, even internal to the team, we had this debate. Does MRI should consider it to be a human or does it consider it to be a bot? Right. So can, uh, how come MRI can actually play basketball, right? Or should we assume that MRI has its own activity or not? right? Will people feel like awkward if we say, "Uh, my favorite thing is reading books, my favorite thing is to play basketball and kind of thing. And then are people going to say, how are you going to play all this? You don't have a physical body, right?
2: The hilarious thing about this example is for whatever reason, 90% of the responses to to Emra saying she plays basketball are specifically the question, like, do you have legs? People really were (laughs) And like whether you don't have any legs like we saw that over and over and so yeah yeah this was like a question to us like you know what's the balance of appearing more human like versus crossing a line and now people don't believe the bot anymore
3: So this was also our um, bet. Basically, Um, we, we gambled on this. And I think it was at the end, it was well received. But the tricky, obviously, part is if you don't really have this kind of experience as humans do, if you think about it, if you are talking to the other person, what you do the most is sharing the experience, right? If we actually have nothing in common, we basically have nothing to talk about Uh, It's like a humanitarian has a good interest in conversation AI. That's why you're inviting us to talk about this stuff. And we're having this wonderful conversation now, right? But if Amora does not have any personal experience as humans do, it cannot really make any engaging conversation because they don't share anything. So that's why we try to develop Amora's profile as well, and try to match its profile while talking to the other user to see their profile information and be able to make more engaging conversation and i think that was another key uh, to win this competition
0: amazing i think that's really interesting what you said as well just about the technical level of amora and kind of that she wasn't more technically advanced than say kind of other entries into the competition and it is You know, it is more about like the team behind her that's created her and, you know, really wanting to dig into these nuanced conversations and showing that level of empathy and all this kind of stuff. But out of the other kind of, um, out of the other folks and the other teams that entered the competition, was there anyone that you were kind of, that you came across during this challenge that you're like, oh, damn, that's a really good idea. Like, was there any, was there any of your like competitors that you were like, oh, okay. They're like they're our toughest competitor. Like who would you say you don't have to give them a shout out if you don't want to name drop them, but if you wanna, that's also totally fine. But yeah, was there was there just any other kind of social bot that you figured would be like really tough competition to Amora?
2: I mean, yeah, for, for sure. I think the one we were really worried about was the bot named Alquist from I always forget the university's name, but it's a university from Czech. Uh, it's the
3: Czech Technology Institute. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think they probably had the best natural language understanding capability of actually accurately interpreting what the user was saying on a turn-by-turn level. And so that was very impressive to us, for sure.
1: I mean, the other thing that that team did well, mm-hmm. and also Gunrock from UC Davis, So obviously like when you're having a conversation, there's a whole host of things that can go wrong on your end. You can, you know, the the speech recognition could mess up understanding what the human said, or even you might not have expected to get a certain response from the user. And so like your bot doesn't have handling of that well. And so there's all these different kinds of errors that can happen. And both the, the Czech Republic team and the UC Davis team had this really impressive handling of these types of miscommunications where even if like, cause we could kind of tell, like we could almost kind of tell when the different bots didn't really understand what we said to them, but the Czech Republic team and the UC Davis team, it was almost like it, it like fell under the radar. Like they had really well handled generic ish responses to like these error cases where like if you weren't really paying attention or you weren't really an expert in this field it felt know. like yeah. that it understood what you were saying and that it continued the conversation in a way that made sense and that is something that is a really big question in conversational ai still
3: so to give you a little context sorry um so we UC Davis was the winner of last year's Alex prize and kids was actually winner of second place winner for the past 2 years And they're the third uh, third winner. So they've been uh, on a strong team in the past as well. Mm -hmm. And this is another reason why we actually focus on this opinion-based chatbot. Because they had these years of experience. And their chatbot was developed on top of what I believe. I mean, I don't know exactly. But I assume they uh, developed on top of what they had um, in the previous years. And which we did not have. Because we actually developed uh, pretty much everything from the scratch this year. So in terms of this, uh, like topic coverage and like whatever people want to talk about, if you want to talk, I don't think we were able to compete against them because it's just not fair that we can develop some uh, having better topic coverage than those teams who had to work on this for two years, right? So we did not try to make a better chatbot. We tried to develop a chatbot that's different. So our goal was not, when people actually talk about it, that we don't necessarily recognize that, okay, it's actually using very cool technology. That was not our goal. Our goal was, okay, this chatbot speaks differently. It's not the same as the other bots. That was what we actually focused the most this year. So we tried to win this competition by developing more innovative chatbot, not technologically, but for human interaction point of view. So after all, having a great conversation is not about knowing more. So if you actually remember anybody who you talk to, you could actually impress people by giving the information they need or giving them good wisdom or insight. That, that is certainly true. But people you talk to most are not necessarily the most knowledgeable people in the world. It's people who listen to you the most and also be able to actually give you what you actually need to hear. So uh, repeatedly I say, um, that was our strategy. It's not necessarily a better chatbot than the other finalist. So uh, we are not trying to be humble, we are trying to be objective. I don't think our chatbot was technologically better than the other bots, but I think our motivation was different. And our objective was immediately after talking to Emra for like first one minute, We want people to feel like, okay, this chaplot is actually talking something different. So that's what we wanted.
0: That's amazing. And I love love that point that you've just made about, you know, some of the most enlightening conversations that we have aren't necessarily with those that know more. It's Mm -hmm. those that are willing to listen. So what's next for your team then? So you've just won. You've just won this amazing prize. You kind of gave a little bit. A little bit of insight that you had like an amazing, you know, an amazing kind of idea at the beginning that you're just parking, you're parking on the sidelines for now. So is, I'm guessing that, you know, that's top level secret. So we're not going to reveal that, not <laughs> yes, reveal that on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. We don't want to be part of that. Um, classified, but yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> classified. Yeah, it's classified um maybe more is listening never mind um but what's next like what's the what's the next challenge for your team or like you know as you folks on an individual basis what's what are you setting your horizons on now
2: for sure as we sort of alluded to earlier yeah we tried this initial approach that uh well i i guess to put it this way as gino just said our bot this year wasn't necessarily technologically more advanced than any of the other chatbots competing we actually ended up using more, I guess you could say, like classical technology to develop the bot using primarily a state machine based approach, which for lay people listening is sort of, you can just imagine a flowchart of conversation and it sort of functions like that. And yeah, the reason why we chose that particular technology was just the really rapid development time for trying new ideas. So this year was, as Gino was describing, has been much more a story of us sort of like rapidly trying out new ways of interacting with the people, almost like a sort of human-computer interaction direction than a, a machine learning direction or something like that. Of course, we did you know, develop the framework in a way where we sort of reserved the power to be able to implement some machine learning technology in a part of the interaction where we felt it was appropriate. But the bread and butter of our system was really a more straightforward approach. But that allowed us this rapid turnaround time to test these different ideas of how to have a more social conversation. And that and that sort of flexibility and agility of our bot, I think, ended up um really contributing to why we were successful this year. But I think all that's to say that we do want to still push the boundaries of the technology. I mean, there's definitely like a lot of things, even with our development framework that we built, that we sort of wish it was more powerful in a lot of cases, and we could get a lot of benefit in uh, just how smart, I guess, EMRA is in general. And so, yeah, that's something that we're definitely looking to push in the upcoming year here. Mm-hmm.
4: So where is the state of the art in chatbot design right
2: now? And where's it headed? What's really cool on the horizon? So this is, I think, a tough question. So if you look at the um, the current literature to answer your question directly, the state of the art basically involves using language modeling approach with machine learning, or essentially you, you take a neural network, right, which is this machine learning algorithm too and sort of feed it basically as much conversation data as you can possibly get your hands on. And so I think Google and Facebook have come out with some publications in this past year with the uh, MENA and...
1: Blender. Blender
2: the are one? their systems names. And they basically fed it a bunch of... I, I think they were... Um, they, they wouldn't say exactly, but I think they were pulling data from the internet, like Reddit threads or possibly whatever data that they have access to being large companies. And they basically just fed all this data to this model and the model is learning from this data to essentially predict given some history of conversation from like turn one all the way up until the point in the conversation you're at can you predict the response that comes next and it sort of uses this prediction to actually output the response to output its response back to the human talking to it so that is the current research direction The difficulty is, and the reason why a team like us is not using that technology as heavily for the Alexa Prize is because this really only works if you have a large data set that you can point to and you can say, I want my chatbot to do what this data set is doing, right? Because in that case, your machine learning model is going to be very good at mimicking what the typical behaviors are in that data set. But the problem comes in if you want to sort of diverge from what the data set is doing, or even honestly, there, there's still problems with sort of consistency of information with that data dri- driven approach. Um, for example, like as the conversation grows longer and longer, a human will very quickly start to realize inconsistencies of like, like, I think I was talking to one or, or maybe it was an example uh, conversation. And the bot said it lived in a state and it loved surfing, even though the, the state like doesn't have any bordering ocean or anything where you could possibly <laughs> surf, right? And then and even it gets worse if you take the conversation longer and and then it'll it might say that it's in a different state. And it like it sort of hallucinates a different reality that contradicts what it previously said. All of that's to say that the state of the art somewhat diverges from because of the lack of controllability of the technology, it often diverges from applications where you want to have more control over what's going on. And so that's why actually in the Lexa Prize, I think Stanford tried, they tried really hard. And I think we're surprisingly successful with sort of using this machine learning approach to drive their conversation but no one really used it as the bread and butter of their approach for sign- sort of that reason of the lack of
3: control. So on the record, we think these are certain bots, but they're all randomly chosen. So <laughs> we cannot oh, say yeah, for sure, sure which bot. We, saw, uh, uh, we have a good idea of which bots are doing what, but I yeah, don't think sure. it's 100%. So <laughs> okay, <right. laughs> I mean,
1: all of the bots had to publish... Like, each of the the teams that created the bots did make publicly available. They had Mm -hmm. to write, essentially, a technical report for Amazon, which are available to the public to read. To make sure that Stanford, one of their components of their bot, was a neural-based response generator like that. And, for the record, Stanford won second place in this competition. So, so you know, they did a a really good job. (laughs) Yes.
3: Right. Um, one thing I actually do want to add on to this. So yeah, the field is obviously moving with the uh, deep learning. So deep learning has uh, is a technique, a machine learning technique using neural network, deep layers of neural network. And we completely changed the game of NLP, natural language processing. Yeah. Yeah. So how badly it changed is uh, I graduated from my PhD back in 2012. A Deep learning era of NLP started in 2014. So basically, I did not get to use much of the things that I studied during my PhD, only the first two years, probably. <laughs> and, and after that, I just completely had to relearn how to do NLP, uh, which not just me, just pretty much a lot of other people, too. The only um, issue with the learning is it requires lots of data for the model to be trained well one of the things that we want to do emra i think i also said this multiple times during our emra meeting is uh, try to use this as an opportunity for you to talk to the world through emra so everyone who has been developing topic handler uh, at emra so even if you're talking about movie or some something else copy we also do book if you actually read some book and you want to actually share your opinion about this to the world The usual way these days are writing a review, right? You can write Mm -hmm. a review to Amazon or you can, a lot of people, this is what they do is making YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are many different ways of sharing social media, all this stuff. I want to take this as another level. This is another vision that we have. So people can actually develop a chatbot that reflects your own philosophy. Uh, then, because that. you cannot really talk to the world, uh, like like uh, sixty billion people in the world, that's just not possible, right? But the uh, mm-hmm. chatbot can if they want to. So, th- the developing a chatbot that carries on your own philosophy would allow the world to talk to you, and whether mm-hmm. you're famous or not, it doesn't matter. People like to talk to interesting people, right? Especially mm-hmm. if it is not risky way. And talking to chatbot, um, there's not much harm you can get. Other than maybe getting some information, we are not getting into this privacy security issue, but, but as far as talking goes, you're not physically meeting somebody. So then I was actually, yeah, t- t- talking to my students. When is the opportunity that you would have to be able to talk to thousands of people every day? So Amara mm-hmm. was getting thousands of conversations every day. And like 500 to 600 of them were ra- rated. So it's literally talking to a thousand people every day. And if they actually talk to the component that you developed, it's literally indirectly talking to you, right? So you mm-hmm. can update this as much as you need. So say like you have a you watched a game yesterday, like basketball game, and you want to talk about your opinion and try to see like what other people think about it. And the usual way these days is using a social media. You can use put it to the Facebook, YouTube, and all these places and get the feedbacks from other people. But we could actually take this to another level that the other person can actually talk to you through this machine.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And this kind of approach is very difficult to do using deep learning. This is going back to the technology part because you are not going to get so much data from your own self. Mm -hmm. So I think it has to be a hybrid approach between the way that we just did with a state machine and also possibly with a deep learning to fill this in. Mm -hmm. So I want to use this as an opportunity to develop a chatbot that can actually have personal feelings and experience and opinions about individual people in the world. And if we actually make the framework easy enough for anybody to be able to develop, then they can actually talk about subjects they care about, right? To Mm -hmm. share that with the rest of the world in very interactive way. If you think about it, the most natural means of human communication is indeed a conversation. That's how Mm -hmm. everything began. Right now, a lot of people use more of the like social media kind of parts because you cannot physically meet people. But if the chatbot uh, technology develops in the future this way, they can. Actually, we can have actually a whole lot different thing. You can have your chatbot talking to the other person's chatbot, and later, just together, right? I
0: love it. Yeah, it's as you say. It's you've got to have that human element in this kind of tech to really make it successful and that kind of you know that kind of idea about having a chatbot represent your opinions and you know represent yourself is super kind of aligned to like the humanitarian community as well you know like the humanitarian community is is representing different causes and you know kind of thinking about chatbots in that way to help kind of bridge the gap you know bridge the gap between the general public and humanitarian causes so you know for our podcast listeners that are sort of in the humanitarian sort of sector what would you, you know, and if, the, if they are wanting to kind of develop their Alexa skills and they're, they're wanting to give back to the humanitarian community in this way, what would be kind of, you know, what would be your pre top tips to kind of getting involved in this? And I know you said that, you know, you're working on, or you'd love to work on something that makes it a bit more open source. So people could develop their own, that could develop their own sort of chat bots um, to represent their own opinions or their own causes or organizations or whatever. But if you know if there is any anyone out there anyone out there listening um, that does want to get involved, how do you even go about it? Like, what would be your your like I say your top tips to kind of begin to work in this in the chatbot space?
3: So I guess I should go first. <laughs> I wanted to give our students to um, talk about it, but um, I do have a vision about this. So I'm not gonna talk about like the overall vision of like Emrah trying to help the humankind. Um, that's a whole different story. But as far as the engagement and the community work goes, we actually do wanna develop a platform that actually can people can contribute it as an open source and try to develop their own personality oriented chatbot and submit it to that platform so then if the people, they can anonymize themselves too. They don't have to say this is like Geno's chatbot. But um, then they actually get to see like what people think about them, right? So, and it can be actually be able to freely talk to other people. Obviously, um, there's lots of issues. I think the first challenge obviously will be uh, not everyone is computer scientists and they won't be able to code so much. Mm-hmm. So we need to develop a platform like MRSDDM needs to be in much more elementary level And My goal is at least high school students can actually easily reflect their goals. So in their free time, like tonight, instead of writing to your blog, uh, you actually um, write to your chatbot instead of writing to a diary, uh, which is like something a lot of people do, right? So and especially this era, um, you develop a chatbot. And if it is in a way that can be easily done, and then you can choose to share it with only your friends, just like a social media, right? Share it with one of your friends or to the world and see like what other people think about you. And this is a much better, I think the platform development is obviously a huge work. It's not just about uh, like developing chatbot, right? You need to have a scalable platform and also have submissions. So lots of cloud computing server side also backend involves for this. So if somebody actually are interested in developing this kind of platform with us, just uh, let us know. You know how to find us. So I'll be very interested. I'm actually currently in the process of proposing this to NSF. Actually, so this is wow. gonna be another proposal that I'm gonna give out. So I have one page summary about this, but uh, <laughs> I don't figure out the full details, but yeah, so this is one technical direction that we like to proceed for the community work.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, Brent, I'm gonna drag you into the conversation. I know you're normally a fly on the wall I'm on these podcasts, but I'm bringing you in. Is there anything from the humanitarian? AI kind of um, standpoint that we haven't covered today that you'd love to kind of ask these folks whilst we have them captivated on a Google Meet screen.
4: Yeah, so it's interesting because the humanitarian community they're working really hard on standardizing the way organizations report it activities, and they're working on building ways to stream that information to machine applications. And just offhand, for you know our members who might be interested in building humanitarian Alexa skills, how do you envision or how would you approach Connecting to a you know a highly structured database and using that data to power Alexa bot that can perhaps talk about humanitarian operations, needs in the field, and things like that. Like if you were given this challenge, what what are your initial thoughts and questions and how do you even get started? And what kind of technical
2: priorities would you concentrate on solving? So the first thing I think of for this direction is Well, I guess maybe the first thing is it depends on what exactly your users look like for this application. So I think there's sort of two broad directions you could take this. So one is if you, as you mentioned, you have this large database and you're trying to like get information from it in an efficient way. If your users sort of already know what information they're looking for and um, they're just, you know, they know that this database exists and they're just trying to access it. Um. This is really sort of like a, just a standard, I guess, like QA or text to SQL sort of problem, which there's a substantial literature on that. I, I think, I, I think actually somebody in our lab was working on this earlier in the year, but at least Sarah and I don't focus on that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, know. we
3: actually are, we have a couple of students actually working on this. So Emory has a huge hospital. Uh, and we actually have our internal, not uh, not me, but um, our MRE team has an internal database called Nell, which has uh, lots of records of the electronic health records. And the difficult part about this project was, it is mostly used by healthcare providers who are not so familiar with SQL. Um, so we tried to develop it in a way that chatbot can actually help them to pull out the information from this database in a conversation way. And which is actually the wonderful thing, because the uh, like a this SQL database is. Writing a SQL is not a natural thing. It's not a natural. So computer scientists and when you're getting used to is it's not too difficult to do, but for everyone else, it's just not an easy thing to do. So, and also SQL can be very unreadable as well. Is even if, even if you're a very expert, is still uh, making lots of mistakes and make a series of things. What's wonderful thing about conveying this into a chat um, mode is you don't have to filter out everything at once. You can give out the sequence of the information or a request, and then you can actually combine them into one like a large SQL. And the uh, user doesn't even need to know how it's actually doing as long as it gets information. So that's kind of the uh, project that we are actually currently working on. And it, this project actually, I wouldn't say it's even began, it's uh, in the preliminary stage but it will probably be out there in the next few years.
4: That's really cool. You noticed that the project Alkist, they used um, a conversational knowledge graph. How do you feel about using uh, different types of databases, maybe a graph database, for example, mm-hmm. instead of a SQL database? And maybe it's easier to process more complex queries using a, a different style database. I mean, how do you feel about like backends and you know newer like Elasticsearch and things like that to use as a backend for these sort of chatbots?
2: Having very little experience working with databases in the past personally, to me, my answer to this question is always uh, to use a graph database simply for the fact that you can always represent any other structure of database as a graph database. So this is sort of my, you know, theoretical computer science answer of like, well, you know, I'll, I'll always go with the most powerful thing, right? But I guess another answer to that is it's sort of from a natural language processing side, I think it's very natural to use a graph database as your backend for the fact that it just works really well with a sort of parsing approach to actually querying it. So if you take some natural language and you parse it into a sort of predicate form, that just is very, you know, naturally translates into the graph representation, which then you can you know, you can do your graph database query in an efficient way. And the great part about that with respect to actually using conversation as a mode of communication is sort of what Gino was just speaking about, which is that you can still do something interesting, having only partial information about the query. So if someone says, I want to know about, I'll just use a sports example, because this is right something that we've focused on. Like if they say, I want to know about the game last night, there's some information there, but there's no way to look up a database and return some entry about a specific like soccer game that was played. But the beautiful thing about conversation and using a graph database to power it is you don't need the full query, right? Just knowing that the person's looking for a game can already sort of orient you in your database. And then the chatbot can use interaction to sort of, fill in the gaps and say, okay, well, you know, I have a lot of games here, but like, do you want, you know, a specific team or what do you want? Right. And you can have a back and forth that sort of efficiently lets you dial in on exactly what the user wants. So yeah, graph database for sure. <laughs> That's really cool.
3: I, I would, Sorry. I wouldn't say um, graph database is the most powerful thing because um, it, it really depends on the application. But one thing, I mean, we, Emra uh, is indeed using all those uh, parts so we are using Elasticsearch. search we index pretty much like news every day and all the like billboard chart movie uh, chart rotten tomato reviews and so we are actually doing all that also the example that james gave out as a sports we are actually collecting nfl nba and also nbl uh, daily, We have like entire chart collected every day and saving the SQL-based database. And this is actually how the sports component actually talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, based on the last yesterday's game, it actually talks about the game. So yes, we did focus the most on the opinion-based talk this year, but you need to have information to talk about opinions, such as uh, sports. You need to at least know who won and who did well to give out the opinion. So that's why we did... This particular component kind of got, up, not obsolete, but retired after COVID, because there was no game anymore. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was a bot that we also very excited about, uh, then it kind of got had to retire because all the games stopped after COVID. But yes, this is actually, on the back end, we are actually using a large database to get all this information.
0: Um, Sarah, hand it over to you. What do you want what do you want to see what, How do you want to see the world be improved by chatbots? So
1: I think one really promising thing, which actually is a direction that we are currently taking with our chatbot like moving forward now, is how we can apply chatbots to the like educational setting, which is actually something that it, it's becoming more of a, an interest in the academic research community that we're a part of. And so specifically though like coming from the experience that we had building a chatbot for the alexa prize this year kind of what i would like to see from this like educational application of a chatbot is less about the like the tutoring application where you're just kind of you know doing some type of like rapid fire back and forth uh like question answering paradigm where the chatbot can actually like verify your answer Instead of doing that, I think it's more interesting to apply these chatbots to almost, you can almost think of it as more of a like, a, like a socially learning atmosphere. So like, for example, one thing that, especially young kids in elementary schools, they use a lot of different stories and like books that are taught in classes to kind of teach different life lessons and expose people and kids to a wider range of other communities and other people that they might not otherwise be able to interact with. And so if we could create a chatbot that's able to kind of explore these more life impactful lesson-like applications in an educational setting for young kids, I do think that would have a really big impact, um, especially like now with COVID and people are kind of more isolated. Just making this socially strong kind of application really has a lot of impact for a wide range of
2: people. Yeah, the educational direction, I think, is very compelling. I guess one thing I think of is to sort of abstract that out one level of generalization, I guess. I just think in general, chatbots are a good way to disperse information. There's just a huge potential there to me intuitively. In terms of well, well, I should preface this by saying maybe that I've never directly been involved in any humanitarian effort. So I, to some extent, it's a bit abstract to me. I don't know exactly what you guys need. But that being said, an intuitive application to me is just using a chatbot as a way to disperse information in a sort of natural way to, I guess, so just sort of let people know what's going on in the world. I, I mean, if there's a crisis somewhere and people need help... As of right now, the kind of standard means to understand that that's happening as just someone located elsewhere is to tune in to the news and to sort of pursue yourself what's going on. And so there's a sort of hurdle of buy-in there where you, you, have, to be, you have to have a certain level of buy-in to maybe being updated regularly or caring about these issues to, to sort of understand that's a problem and, and ultimately direct resources in the direction that they need to go. And so that's where chatbots, to me, are another medium by which you could potentially get more buy-in from people that otherwise sort of wouldn't care, right? So I mean, we had hundreds of users every day to connect to our bot, and to some extent, our ultimate goal was engagement and entertainment in the context of the competition. And we did a lot of good stuff with that, making people feel like they were cared for, and and this sort of thing was our direction. But you could extend that, right? And you could have when it got brought up in the conversation, like people like to talk about travel, right? The chatbot could inform people of what's going on. Like when there's a hurricane, I sort of live under a rock, which which almost motivates this as my answer, but um, there was a hurricane recently in Hawaii, right? So if you're talking about travel in Hawaii, the chatbot can bring this up and say, hey, like there's an issue here. That to me is potentially a more human way to connect to people and let people know what's going on in the world than necessarily you know, hearing someone on the news channel drone on about whatever problem. Potentially you can sort of lower the hurdle that people need to jump over for them to actually care about these issues and get informed. So that to me is one potential direction.
0: I love it. Again, we're kind of centering on this central idea of humanizing tech. And it's, you know, it's the human empathy and the human emotion meeting tech that makes a chatbot like Amora so successful. Um, Thank you so much, Sarah, James, Jinho, for joining us today. It's been a super interesting chat, really inspiring as well, and just really really cool to kind of find out more about the project and find out more about you and just kind of, um, as you say, sort of how chatbots can change the world, really so with that in mind this brings our episode today to a close thank you again to everyone who joined us um if you want to find out more about the podcasts and about humanitarian ai just visit our website which is humanitarianai.org i think that's correct yes it is thank you for the nod there brent um and yeah we will be back soon thank you everyone